Blog Talk Radio. The Marketing Technology Blog Radio Show with Douglas Carr, founder of the Marketing Technology Blog and author of Corporate Blogging for Dummies, online marketing strategies, web, search, social, email, mobile, news, tips, tricks, and best practices from actual marketers, search professionals, and social media experts. Well, welcome everybody to today's show. Uh, it is it is June. Can you believe it's June, Mark? Incredible. <laughs> what a whirlwind month we've had. <laughs> it has been a crazy month. Uh, we have David Kay is going to be on the show. He's going to join us in just a little bit. Uh, so uh, before that, what, what's happened this week, Marty? Oh, my goodness. Facebook? Facebook. Uh, what else? What do you think about the Facebook IPO? I think it went exactly as it
everybody between the editor and the journalist, you know, are, you know, trying to come up with reasons to keep it going so that they can have their, you know, make their $80,000 a year. I, I think it's ridiculous. So the common thread is the middleman that is cut out of the middle. Yeah. the application of technology and the distribution of power. Yeah, exactly. David, are you on the line? I am on the line. Am I coming through? David, we were just kind of waxing poetic. We've got Brad Shoemaker here in the office, and Brad's a uh, traditional radio guy, and we were just kind of uh, waxing poetic about traditional media. And, you know, my, my take on it is just, you know, if they would cut out all of the fat, I, I really think that they could do incredibly well in this environment. And the cool thing that Brad's doing is is uh, he and a bunch of other radio personalities have started a site, hammerandnigel.com, and are basically taking their personalities online. They're tired of getting fired by every radio station <laughs> in the country and, uh, and and instead, you know, going after their own audiences, which I think is just awesome. I mean, Paul Poteet from TV exactly. is a local guy that, that has done very well doing that and I think will continue to do better. Um, so I don't I don't know if that's anything that you might have an opinion on. You know, everybody says newspapers are dying and, and uh, radio is dying and TV is dying. I don't think it's dying. It's just changed. And, and, and the, the corporate machine hasn't adapted to that change very well. Well, I, th I think you're right. And, and even the choice of words is really interesting. We talk about the newspaper is dying. I, actually, I think that probably is true. The newspaper as we know it as this way that information and, you know, classifieds and advertising and the crossword puzzle and the horoscope, local news all bundled together into, you know, a bunch of dead trees. I, I, yeah, I think that probably is going away, um, is the need for uh, and desire for reporting and opinion and advertising going away? Absolutely not, right? So right. I, I think I think we get so focused on the delivery vehicle that it's hard to really think through, you know, what is what's the real value and to unpack that from the, uh, the old way we used to deliver the value. Well, yeah, and I, you know, you've got these. There's some systemic problems within the industry too, and that's in the newspaper industry. It's it's literally an event when someone leaves. Like, like oh my God, they left there and went to a non-newspaper company, and and it kind of speaks to a problem, and that's that you know it, it's really an inbred industry, and that's that you know because they don't take people from outside the newspaper industry and fold them in. They're not getting any coverage within. Radio is probably the same way. Exactly. You have um, radio managers that have been around 30 years. They know how to do everything. Right. And uh, people have a hard time with change. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what you said earlier, a lot of times they're letting the creatives go. They're letting the people that can drive the industry, the content creators, they're letting them go, and they're keeping the middle management. Yeah. They're keeping, yeah. and they're doing it the opposite way of the way they should be. The, it's sad. The local newspaper here, the, the Star, I just continue to see more and more <clears throat> reporters let go. Mm -hmm. Advertising is still big. <laughs> Marketing is a little bit smaller. Pretty soon you're going to have buildings filled with nothing but sales. From that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, nobody all reading. Of your, all of your content will come from, you know, one place out of New York, place out of right. wherever. Right, right. And and the, the the sad the sad thing about that is it's exactly the opposite of where the demand's going. Mm -hmm. The demand is going for we want deeper insight, we want better information. Exactly. I, I'm a blogger, but I in no way, shape, or form compare myself to a journalist who 
actually take sources and make yeah. sure that they fact check and make sure that everything's on I love journalism. I want that to survive. I, I, David, you you said it you know perfectly. I want journalism to survive. I just don't want leaders to survive. Yeah. yeah, that's a good way. And then we have Anita Aker in the house here. Um, we have Anita's a longtime marketer uh, here, uh, fairly new to Indianapolis, right? Mm-hmm. So so worked in Southern California quite a while. Uh, Harry Howe is in the house. Tony Monteleone, uh, who's a, a startup guy. Uh, we have uh, Tony. Actor, my intern for this. Summer. Oh, we yeah. have an intern in the house. Where's our coffee? <laughs> no, I'm just, yeah, I'm just. That's the radio joke. <laughs> it's the radio guys you got to watch out for. Um, but uh, David, thank you for joining us. And, and Marty, if you want to introduce David, uh, that would be great. Well, uh, uh, David, uh, Marty here. We uh, we've known each other uh, uh, quite a while. And uh, it's really a great pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, David Kay is, uh, you know, world-renowned as an expert in uh, knowledge management, um, all things uh, knowledge-centered support, obviously helped and continue to provide guidance uh, to, you know, the, the top technology company in the world. Um, might be a good place to start, uh, Dave, if you could just kind of briefly tell us, you know, what is knowledge management? Um, I know you get that question quite a bit, so hopefully you've got an elevator pitch for us. <laughs> well, I, I, I had better. I think there, you know, there's there's really no better way to kill cocktail party conversation than the. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I'm a consultant in knowledge management, right? The, they just head for the exits, but it, it's really just it's a thing that that humans have done as long as there have been fireplaces to tell stories around. We're all good at collecting information ourselves and learning from our experiences, um, but if you want to scale above a unit of one, and even as I'm getting older and older, if I want to maintain my own knowledge, it's important to write it down. It's important to get it out of people's heads and in a place where it can be shared and talked about and discussed and improved. And so knowledge management is just a way of writing down the things that we know in a way that's effective and practical to share. Uh, And it's like many things. The idea itself is so simple that I often wonder how I stay employed doing it. Um, but the, the details are, are really hard because everybody's busy, uh, everybody's concerned about, uh, boy, if I if I share what I know with my colleagues, does my job security go away? And, and so there's a, a, a lot of details, but that's in a, in a nutshell, just how we how we share information and 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 record it and improve it. And it's not just you're not just talking about knowledge management within an organization or within an organization. You're talking knowledge management within knowledge management between businesses, between business to consumer. You know, kind of all of it. Well, that's absolutely right. I mean, we we used to think, um, you know, particularly I would say high tech companies were guilty of this. We used to think, hey, we we hire the smartest people in the world and we walk on water. And so, you know, as long as we share information amongst ourselves, then we've got good information. Um, and, you know, if customers talk to each other, they're probably getting bad information. We don't want any part of that. And, and of course, that's that's nonsense. There's way more information outside our organizations than there is inside any of them. And, you know, people who actually know 
how the things work on the ground. And and so you're absolutely right that the, I think the biggest shift was in uh, in knowledge management, particularly in the service and support world, was the transition from we're going to do it inside our company and, and hold it close and not share it with anybody else because that's our competitive advantage, to all right, we will grudgingly share it with customers through self-service uh, and, and you know our, our support websites and frequently asked questions and that sort of thing. To where we are now, which I think is a much more enlightened and healthy place, where you know we're all kind of pitching in, and and I think we're we're trying to figure that out as an industry, uh, because obviously there is a there there is a value to the company, you know, saying yeah, this is this is right, we've blessed us, but I don't know for for most people maybe there's more value in having other, um, uh, you know, other people like them say that. Do, do you feel that there's, um, I, I mean, is a drastic change? Do you feel like, you know, consumers just holding their knowledge are simply not going to survive? Do you think it's as black as that? Or, or do you still feel there's a place for businesses to, you know, keep that intellectual property internal and not share it and, and, and hold it, you know, uh, I was going to say ransom, but that would be a negative connotation. Um, but uh, so everybody knows how I feel. But, <laughs> but you know, to to basically hold it and 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 profit off of it. Do you do you, you know how drastic do you think it is? Is the world still gray, or is it black and white now? Uh, it, it depends. I would say that in the in the business to consumer world, um, there most of the time for most information companies see the value in, I mean, they see very little value in holding on to it because they're really, they understand they need to make their customers successful and they understand that the customers aren't going to, you know, write a big check for a big support contract for their, you know, iPhone. So the business to consumer world, it really is the case, I think, that people are putting out and they say, well, you know, people don't even necessarily want to come to our portal. They want to just go to Google or Bing or whatever or find out about it from a friend on Facebook. So at that point, they've been very good about opening things up. On the business-to-business side, I think there is still a tremendous amount of, oh, you know, having a hard time letting go of this. I mean, you know, you can if you're an Oracle customer and you're – spending a million dollars a year on Oracle support contracts or your Oracle and you see a customer doing that, it's really scary to say, oh, we'll give them a big piece of that value proposition for free, right? And, and so they've really had a hard time letting go. And this has a really odd effect, which is that if you are an individual, let's say you're an Oracle systems administrator, and, and you've got a problem, and so you type in an error message in Google, because that's what we do, right? We, we type it into Google. Um, you will hear from everybody in the world about that problem. You'll hear from LinkedIn groups. You'll hear uh, from a company called aura-codes.com that you know, specifically is about this. You'll hear from everybody in the world about that Oracle error message, except for Oracle. And I, I think, and I'm, I'm just singling out Oracle because they're a good example. This is really common in that industry, and I, I, I think we're. I share your bias. I think we're really missing out and being part of the conversation. Well, you know, and, and there's a couple of reasons why I feel that way. You know, this is a little bit idealistic, but one, I feel like if you share information freely, 
it enables everybody to be a bit more productive. And I do think that a rising tide raises all ships. So, you know, if if we find a certain problem with an application and we post that online and let everybody else know about that problem, um, everybody does a little bit better, and and it's good for it's good for everybody. If we don't tell anybody, um, you know, except our customers. Um, I'm not sure how that helps us. You know, I, I, I really don't know. And what we find most of the time is, you know, the, the, we were built out of sharing information. I mean, this, this company was built out of the marketing technology blog. Um, so on the blog, you know, five years ago, I was sharing all the information that I was finding out for clients. And then um, it eventually turned into a demand, you know, where people wanted more. And, and now I can share stuff online and, if people want to do it themselves, that's great. But what we find is a lot of people are more than willing to pay, you know, for us to take care of it for them. And and I I don't want a customer that is a do-it-yourselfer. I I mean I'll be honest. I if you're a do-it-yourselfer, go for it. You know, go do it yourself. Um, I want customers that want my attention and and want our help. David, do you think part of the Go ahead, David. No, I was just going to say I, th- I think that's I think that's really wise. And if you if you enable if you enable customers to do things themselves, and they're that kind of person, then just how much more loyal are they going to be? As opposed to say, no, you know, you 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 can't touch that. Uh, no user serviceable parts inside. I mean, it just flies in the face of so much of what we're seeing with with the make community and everything else. Are, are you seeing that that the companies are are still trying to to understand the notion that you know by putting structure around how however or wherever they're getting information to help them solve problems that that reputation is one of the key drivers y- yes and and I think companies are sort of struggling with this oddly enough you know we talked about knowledge starting from the inside and then you know almost grudgingly going out reputations going exactly the the other way um reputation really started uh in the communities and the forums and the places where people were helping each other out and and you know the the sort of game dynamics that that tend to apply in communities and are tightly aligned with a model or reputation that's formal. So if you're a Microsoft MVP, most valuable professional, you're one of three thousand really big dogs in the world on Microsoft products, <laughs> and that's a very that's a very valuable uh, mark of reputation. It's been hard for companies to figure out how to take that same dynamic. And move it inside. It's really kind of scary to think that your customers and your colleagues are going to be providing feedback, both explicit and um, by the things they do, that will affect your reputation at work somehow. As a matter of fact, there you know there are many countries in the world where it's it's flat out illegal. And so uh, I think you know there are um, Microsoft, Cisco. Um, and some of the other companies that we've worked with have done a really good job at trying to take some of these ideas of reputation and apply them internally as well. Uh, but it certainly it certainly is happening externally. Um, so, so now we're you know we're in this uh, the modern age, so to speak, where we're awash with social collaboration solutions, and and you know companies are using. 
social platforms for community management. They're using it for customer service and support. To an outsider, it, it probably looks as if it's the same as what knowledge management solutions looked like many years ago, but are these companies facing a real problem now because they have so much information uh, via social channels and they don't quite know what to do with it? I, I absolutely, and, and and you see a lot of you know very interesting technology work being applied to that problem. But I, I think we need to get our heads around what what this all means first. I mean, something that's really different about social. Uh, I, I like to think of it as the three V's. Um, you've got visibility; everything's happening in public. You've got velocity; everything is happening really quickly, and you can't establish some kind of service level agreement where you say, "Well, it'll be okay if I get back to your tweet in 48 hours." Right? That, that, that's that's not what people expect. But probably the biggest challenge is the one that you bring up. The third V is volume. There's just so much of it, and the systems that were crafted to deal with the volumes of people, say, opening service and support cases or, or something like that, um, or the volume of knowledge that would be created by dedicated individuals creating knowledge, absolutely can't scale to you know what's happening in, in support communities, what's happening um, in social outputs, what's happening in Twitter, and, and, and so on. So. I think we need to we need to have a different approach. And, and you're right; it does remind me of an earlier time that evolved through through knowledge management. I, I know none of us <coughs> are old enough to remember this, but there was a time when you know productivity applications, when Microsoft Office and its equivalent, weren't part of every office environment. Right? There were you know, people wrote stuff out, and and sometime around the late '80s and and, and early '90s, the combination of the, you know, Microsoft Word and Excel and uh, WordPerfect and email made it so there was a huge explosion in information, like nothing we'd ever seen before. And and we're still, we still have a pretty big hangover from that big explosion in content. And, you know, we're, we're, we're getting better at it. We're starting to learn to treat information as a stock, not just a flow. So we're starting to you know, not send emails with uh, 120, you know, CCs on them, putting new versions of documents out, right? We're putting them in SharePoint or something like that and, and, and maintaining it. But it's it's been a long time coming. And and you're right that there was there was a time there where we said, oh, well, what we need to do is we need to appoint a chief knowledge officer and we need to roll out a great search engine. And the chief knowledge officer will make people take extra time out of their day to do stuff with knowledge and the search engine will make it all brilliant and findable and then we're great. Well, um, I don't think there are many chief knowledge officers anymore and I don't think anybody thinks that enterprise search is the only answer to the explosion of information. We just had to get smarter about how to deal with it. And I think, I don't know what that's going to look like in social, but I think the same evolution is going to happen. I, I, what are what are you what are you guys seeing about this? How are uh, how are marketing organizations coping with this uh, with this this flood of information that that they're getting? Are they doing anything good with it? Well, you know, I think the irony of what you just said was uh, we went from you know knowledge management systems, and then we just started calling that same problem CRM. <laughs> you know, a little while, a little while later. 
and that was let's put you know millions of of documents in a repository that's searchable so that we somehow have a better picture of our clients and it's it's not helpful either you know we still uh, we honestly see that customers are um, the most sophisticated clients we have are still struggling to do the minimum um, and, and the minimum being you know a, a very very balanced cross-channel marketing program where you have acquisition, retention, you know, uh, customer service, sales, you know, strategies on an ongoing, smooth basis. All of our customers, I, I think we have some of the best marketing. Uh, I, I really do. So, uh, with our customers, we have some of the best marketers in the world that we have access to, and all of them are struggling with um, those three things that you were talking about. You know, velocity and and uh, and volume uh, being the the two biggest, and so our job, you know, as marketing technologists, if you will, is most of the time is just one inch at a time breaking down each of those barriers. You know, the uh, first thing going in and helping them with analytics and how to measure things accurately. You know, the next step, you know, optimization. The next step, you know, testing. The next step, and and uh, and so. I, I think almost uh, with our customers that move the quickest, we slow them down. And then the customers that work the slowest, we're trying to cut their speed. Um, but it, it is, bar none, it's the biggest challenge that, that our have today. And then not to mention, you know, now we have, uh, you know, we have all these channels already. Now we have all of these devices, you know. So I just read in, uh, a thing today that said, um, Estimated number of uh, estimated traffic that Yahoo is seeing on mobile devices is now 20%. 20% of all of Yahoo's traffic is coming through mobile devices. Well, I can tell you that 80% of our clients don't have mobile optimized sites, and then tablets are double digit, triple digit increase, and none of our clients, you know, well maybe one of our clients is ready for iPad and tablets and Kindles and everything else. So um, the, the array of demands is getting wider and wider, and the ability for, for the marketing departments just to, to even try to keep up is, 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 is just a huge struggle. Now, now, luckily for us, it's compounded with costs are coming down, and technology is accelerating. And so there, there, is, there are ways for all these companies to take steps forward, and you know, but I don't know that they'll ever get ahead of that curve. And I also like, think, David, that, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, no, please go ahead. Well, just just to follow up on on Doug's uh, thoughts, you know, I also think that a lot of companies um, sort of made a rush to judgment in the last couple of years where, where social was concerned and suddenly decided that they needed to somehow use it only for marketing and and only use it in ways where they could prove uh, benefit, ROI, if you will. And I think part of the result of that is a couple of things that are happening. The first thing is that, that companies are looking at all of this information only through the marketing lens, and and yet they're not they're not doing it with laser focus. Um, the second thing is they're missing out on other very, very useful information out there. Um, you know, you can 
gain a tremendous amount of competitive intelligence, uh, uh, marketplace intelligence. There's so much more you can gain through social channels aside from just trying to make a buck from it. Yeah. Right. Hey, like us on Facebook. The um I you're you're absolutely right and and I actually think that um this is you you're really speaking to to my personal passion about uh social now and its power and propensity to change organizations in a deep and fundamental way. I the the idea that social is somehow a marketing thing means that we we really need to rethink the organization. I mean, for one thing, by it's a marketing thing, many people think, oh, it's a platform for us to go put messages out in, right? Which is, which is not, as you, you of all people know, you're the experts in this. This is that's not the way that you reach and engage customers right now. And it's also a little crazy. I mean, we talked about self-service. The initial driver, the reason that people were trying to put up you know, their self-service knowledge bases and frequently asked questions and other kinds of web presence thing was, was to reduce the number of people calling in or sending emails or, or contacting and taking expensive humans. So we talked a lot about call deflection, which resulted in a, a very surreal moment in the CFO's office where the VP of service and support would come in and say, you know, if you give me $200,000, I'll eliminate a million phone calls a year. And then you'd have the VP of marketing come in and say, if you give me $250,000, I'll create a million phone calls a year, right? <laughs> like these guys were living in different planets. And, uh, and, and of course, you know, there needs to be an overall customer engagement strategy. Um, you, you talked about the cycle of, you know, awareness and acquire and retain. That loop is getting loopier and loopier as time goes on, as we move more to subscriptions, as software as a service, as, uh, you know, the, as word of mouth marketing is, is such a big piece of it. You know, there is, there is no such thing as, as using social to go create your brand separate from the experience that customers have with, with your products and services. Yeah, it's a great point. What about um, – so, well, you know what? Hey, let's – we've got to pay the bill. So um, <laughs> let's take a quick break, and then, and then Marty, we'll, we'll follow up with your question after. Um, speaking of knowledge management, we don't have a formal commercial uh, for these folks yet. We're working on it. But uh, MindJet is one of our clients uh, that we are just absolutely – uh, having a pleasure with Yasha Kekis Wolf is the uh, the CMO there. Just a fantastic organization, and and I think some of uh, some of our discussions today with David can be on on point with this, and that's that um, mind mapping and the ability to basically map processes utilizing software has has been around. You know, David, you talked about it just a few minutes ago. Um, you know, we we had Microsoft Project and we had Visio and we had all these tools to use. And uh, the interesting thing that, that MindJet is doing that's blowing us away uh, is connecting activity and, and basically building mind maps that are live, that are flowing, that information is actually updating real time with, um, and connecting to social sources and APIs and, and different things. So if you guys haven't checked out uh, MindJet, one, check out their blog. The easiest way to get to it is uh, Conspire. C-O-N-S-P-I dot R-E. 
Um, it's just an incredible conversation about leadership and team management and uh, collaboration and organization. And then two, uh, download their apps. Um, they have a fantastic iPhone app, uh, Android, uh, uh, iPad, and then uh, and then of course their web application is 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 absolutely incredible. And then um, and then they've got they've got uh, MindJet Connect online. Which you can take large international organizations and basically kind of connect everybody into a process flow. So, uh, mindjet.com. Uh, everybody visit it and uh, and and please download the uh, download the free demos and uh, it's it's just incredible tools that are maybe a, a ahead of their time, a little bit of a glimpse into the future. Um, and then uh, we'll we'll play since that was a, a voiceover. <laughs> We'll play a real ad now for uh, for Delivera, um, and starring Paul Poutit, by the way. Um, so uh, Delivera is our email marketing client uh, and, and sponsor of the blog. They are absolutely an incredible organization that that um, grew naturally through taking care of its clients and word of mouth marketing. Um, they they were not a sales organization. They were not a aggressive marketing team. It was literally building a platform, and Neil grew an incredible employee team that that they uh, they actually limit their growth on an annual basis. I found out uh, to make sure that they can support all of their clients. So that's something not heard of. Delivera has been providing email software and professional services for more than 13 years. Delivera helps businesses and organizations execute effective email marketing campaigns by providing dynamic software and professional services, from full-out consulting engagements to help when you need it in areas such as design, production, deliverability, and testing. Voted one of the 2011 best places to work in Indiana and one of Inc. 5000's fastest-growing companies. Delivera partners with businesses and organizations across all industries and verticals and truly opens its doors each and every day to put the customer first. To learn more about Delivera, visit www.delivera.com or call 866-915-9465. Tell them you heard about Delivera from the Marketing Technology Blog. There you go. The bills are paid. So we are we are back on the line with uh, David Kay, uh, a knowledge management uh, expert. I'm going to say the word. I know that's an anti word nowadays, but um, but you you truly are, and you have a long history there. Uh, Marty, you were going to ask a question before the break. Yes. Well, uh, David, obviously you are you know you're right in the thick of this uh, of this this really interesting place. Um, in moving from what knowledge management looked like 10 years ago to what it looks like now in uh, you know in this social age, the question I had was: uh, do, do the the how does gamification come up in conversations you're having with with your clients? Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's it, gamification has um, has really taken off as a hot topic. Uh, for us in the last six months or so. And I, I think it comes down to the fact that most people's jobs seem pretty clear and straightforward. You know, and if you're, if you're a customer support representative or an engineer helping solve technology problems, it, you know, what 
what your work is looks like it's the cases. It looks like, well, I, you know, I've got a, I got another person who's calling in and needs help. I got another person and look how many people are calling in and need help. And then I got to get to the emails and, and that's what your, your work looks like. And what we try and do is to help organizations build knowledge management into that process build it so that every time that you answer a customer's question, you're either going to be reusing knowledge that already exists in the organization and kind of validating it. Um, you're going to be capturing new information that you used to answer the question or solve the problem. You're going to be uh, uh, improving knowledge that already exists or keeping it up to date. And that's just a, a byproduct of doing this other thing that you're doing and helping the customers. As a matter of fact, I would say if, you, if you're only helping one customer and that's all you do, then you've really missed an opportunity there to, uh, to help the hundred other customers that would have been able to use that knowledge themselves later. So from that standpoint, a lot of the problems that my customers face is how do they get their employees' attention to really do this stuff, to change how they do the work so they really are integrating knowledge uh, into the job. Knowledge is just a lot less obvious than the next call that's coming in. And so gamification appears to be giving us uh, a host of tools to kind of remind people to do the right thing, to kind of make it a little bit more fun, uh, a little bit more rewarding to do the right thing. And as Doug was asking about, to, uh, to make reputation a really important uh, piece of what motivates people to, to, uh, to do knowledge. You know, it's interesting that we had a uh... – we had a meeting earlier this week with a company called uh, Musical DNA, and it was really, really kind of cool project. Um, and and you can go to the site and, and try it out now. But the, they're really evolving and, and and working beyond it. But they've basically created a technique, and I think it's a patent and technique to educate people on how to play right now piano, and it's piano through games. So if you can imagine, Mavis Beacon teaches typing you know, for piano playing. Um, and and uh, when I first saw it, you know, like I said, right now it's in its early stages, but, but when I first saw it, I was just like, oh, my God, that's genius, you know, because, because that consistent incentive to move forward and increase your knowledge and, and practice and, and everything else. Now all I need is a uh, lose weight DNA. <laughs> yeah, well, well, but it's that's what fit, I mean. You know, Fitbit and the related things—that's the gamification of health. I mean, it really is. You know, I've got I've got friends, and I need to do this too. I got friends who are you know comparing their Fitbit statistics, and and uh, absolutely, uh, I think gamification of health is going to be a big thing. And in all these little things, including knowledge management, that we know we ought to do, uh, but. You know, there's sort of a chore. I, I love this. I remember as a kid, you know, sitting down in front of a piano while my mother had a kitchen timer out there, and, you know, you have to practice. For, and, I, you know, I would have done anything to get that ding at the end, you know, because it was summer and I wanted to go out and play. Well, if I could have been playing, then, you know, th then I would have thrown the kitchen timer away because I would have wanted to have uh, kept playing. So that's a, it's, that's a fabulous example. Uh, I, I'm okay. You gotta be checking out Fitbit now live. While <laughs> and uh, I've got one. I, I bike ride so It's called Wahoo, and it's pretty similar. That it tracks my bike and maps it and everything else, so that I can and then shares it on Facebook and everything else. So um, I have people. I actually had someone contact me on Facebook today that said, "Haven't seen any updates." 
And I, I got a ride scheduled tomorrow, so too too cool. I know we're getting off on the side. But. Well, no, but actually, but, but it's such a good it's such a good example because look at what, the two things that came together there: gamification, where you're you're kind of you know holding yourself accountable and having fun, and then the social dimension. Um, yeah. You know, it's uh, Farm, Farmville does didn't do well because the graphics are so good, right? It's it's that social dimension that uh, uh, if you can pull that into a gamification, you really you really have something wonderful and powerful going on. Uh, David Tony Monteleone with uh, with Bizcrops. I'm a local um, entrepreneur and early stage startup guy. Um, I, I love the information that you're getting. Um, my question for you is. How can early stage startups uh, lacking funds uh, continue to set themselves up or, or utilize this knowledge management um, aspect to business um, in early stage startups? Well, I think I think it's really important to build it into the DNA uh, of the organization early. So I don't think you need to do anything fancy. That, that you know, all of the big problems come that that require technology come with scale. So, as as you know, four guys in the proverbial garage, um, or you know, I'm I'm a three person company, right? So, it's um, you don't have to spend a lot, you don't have to spend a lot of time, but you need to be thoughtful about it. You need to say, how are we going to be organizing the things that we're learning? How are we going to be sharing the things that we're learning where are we going to do that um and and just have a real process about it and uh, often that means that when you're about to send an email uh, unless you've decided that email really is going to be your knowledge management system which is which is a pretty tough way to go before you send an email you say would it be better if i put this in our you know in our wiki would it be better if i shared this in Dropbox, would it be so just to kind of ask yourself that question all along and and as a leader from your perspective, I, I I would want to make sure that everybody knew that what you value them for is not the stuff that happens to be in their heads now, because right? that's going to be obsolete in six months or a year. What what you value them for is their ability to figure out new things and to share it with others. And so any time that they figure something out and don't share it, they're hurting the company and making themselves less valuable in the process. But if they figure something out and share it or, you know, do something good and share it, then it's the multiplier effect. And and as as, as you know, and I've been through early stage companies too, um, it's all about leverage in the early days, right? It's all about everybody has to do the work of, uh, you know, 20 people. And the only way you can do that is to make sure that you're just ruthlessly efficient about what you do. You know, you know, you mentioned that on on the internal, on the external too. Uh, Hazel Walker is actually um, kind of following in the conversation. She's on Facebook, and she wrote that her frustration lately is that everybody is pushing their product at me, with, and no one is engaging me in conversation. I've been whining about it a lot late, of late, but you know, saying "buy me" before saying "hello" <laughs> is a problem. And, and, and so, what, what you just mentioned is is key externally too, right? And that's as as customers, you know, I want to know that my opinion is valued and that my my knowledge of my industry and my company is 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 valued as well before you, you know, start trying to to 
sell me your product or service. I think from a young stage company, it seems to me that you know, we're young stage, I'd say right now, right? We're two years in, you know, really doing this full time. And our, our, our clients that uh, love us the most have been with us from day one. And I can't say that we, I know day one, we worked a lot harder on them than we are now. And their appreciation of that. to say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they know. <laughs> but but they, they, they appreciate the fact that they were with us at those early stages and we got them off the ground and they helped get us off the ground. And, and, uh, and you know, and so that's the pressure on us every day, right? Are we delivering the value for our customers? And, and, uh, and, and uh, I think without that, I, we would have never gotten off the ground had we not had their guidance, their tips, their tricks, their, you know, uh, them telling us what we were doing wrong and, and how to fix it. Without that, you know, I, I don't know that we'd be anywhere. And, and I don't know that they would have gone with anybody else that was just offering them a service. They wanted that type of attention, and, and they were the perfect client for it. Well, that's that's right. There's uh, there's so much good in in what you're saying here. I mean, first first back to the the comment from Facebook, which I I really appreciate. Right? It's if you have a new thing, a new technology, it always looks like and we're talking about this with newspapers, right? And and oh, we got the internet now, so we better put our newspaper out on the internet and have it you know just be the same kind of thing rather than rethinking journalism. And and I think that's what's happening with, with social and things like Facebook. If you're a marketing person, you say, well, my job is putting messages out in the ether and then trying to convert them. So um, I'll, you know, put out promotions in my messaging and create my brand and, and I'll just do it. And, you know, and of course, uh, that's incredibly annoying as a customer or as a prospect, but um, but that's what marketing people think is their job. Similarly, if you're a support person, you look at, at Facebook and Twitter and say, oh, goodness, now I've got, I've got a new support channel. So anytime somebody complains about their food being cold on the airplane, I better give them an upgrade next time, you know, because I'm, I'm in, in Comcast care, so I'm going to give them, a, you know, a free month. So, uh, you know, they see it just as another channel for support. I, I think that your uh, your correspondent said it, it exactly right. It, it is it's a channel for engagement, channel for being part of the conversation. And and you're right that that starts from an acknowledgement that you know it's not just we're the experts, you're the uh, you're the consumers of our expertise. Um, you're you know we're the company and you are. Uh, you know, two eyes, a gullet, and a wallet, right? You know, it's 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 more about a partnership and engagement. Uh, how we do that is hard, and of course, because of the volume and the visibility, we can't just do it on a one-on-one -on -one basis, right? We need to let social support social. As a matter of fact, we, I think we need to kind of give up the illusion that we're driving all of this, and 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 it's more like we're creating a convivial environment for people to engage with each other and and that really becomes our brand and for i would say both support and marketing people and i've i've been both um that's really hard and that's a really different way of thinking about things but uh, but you know and there's there's definitely an expectation that the audience has there mm -hmm. that that you know if you think you're in the conversation stand by right. Right. <laughs> you know and i think you mentioned comcast care i think that's a perfect one where uh, it, you know, I'm I'm not sure. I think that they've abandoned it altogether, but but definitely I read some writing 
realizing that, that they've, they've been shied away from and aren't making as big deal out of it because because they couldn't fix the institutional problems with the customer service. They kind of opened this floodgate, you know, and and the uh, they didn't realize that the expectation from the consumers was, oh, you're on Twitter now? Now I won't wait on hold on the phone. Mm-hmm. I'll just tweet all my stuff. And because it's public, now you have to respond and you have to get this stuff fixed. And when they didn't have the, the infrastructure to back that up, um, you know, it, it, it's it's been a you know such a real challenge. I, I applaud them for trying, but I don't think they realized that the audience was going to drive that drive Comcast cares, not Comcast. Sorry, I have a question for you. In terms of reputation management, the whole emphasis on transparency um, and building trust. Um, how does that kind of fit into the whole knowledge management ecosystem? Well, I, I think you know it used to be it used to be again there was a very black and white thing. There is uh, our information as the as the enterprise as the company, and that is you know by definition perfect. As a matter of fact, it has to be perfect. We're going to have twenty seven people review it, and then there's mm-hmm. everything else which is drivel, right? And and there are still I still run into people in organizations that although they don't say it quite like that still have that view but i think you know the more enlightened view is is look there's content that we create is more or less valuable content that customers create is more or less valuable and we need to kind of help people sort that out i think you know as i watch my my 13 year old kid surf on the internet he now has a a pretty finely tuned sense of reputation um based on you know has he heard of this site uh, what is you know what's the writing like? What's the nature and tone? Um, but anything that we can do to give, and so I think you know we're developing that competency as a group of internet users, uh, some faster than others. But anything that we can do to give people clues about how trustworthy uh, knowledge is and how trustworthy the uh, the people who produce the knowledge are. It is great, and and reputation is really the mechanism for that. So, you know, if I if I stumble across a support community posting uh, that is by somebody who is, uh, you know, a, a, at the big Kahuna level in whatever kind of reputation system they have, and I look at this content and it has five kudos, and the original poster said yes, this solved my problem. Uh, all of those little clues towards reputation. Um, make me feel good. If I see that their name is Marty Thompson rather than, you know, Big Doggy 47, that's going to mm-hmm. give me, you know, like the Amazon true names. Um, it, it's it's going to make me feel more confident. And so I, I think, you know, we're, we're going to experiment a lot with uh, with reputation and how the reputation on knowledge and content is paired up with the reputation on individuals. But in a world where, uh, you know, to use David Weinberger's phrase, it, it's just too big to know, right, this, this network world of linked knowledge, there isn't the inside and the outside. There's a, a web of enormousness, and we need all the help we can get from reputation to sort out what we should pay attention to um, and what we should trust. You know, I think, I think you're absolutely right, but I, I, I think the other part is our, we as a, you know, as a people – um, the next phase of this, in my opinion, is tolerance too. Uh, 
and that's that you know we we've been educated for so long that companies are perfect that any slip up anything at all you know uh, Marty was talking about it the other day with the Facebook IPO you know that that you know I think you I think you were talking about that you know oh it's this epic disaster no it's not a disaster they they're for sale they sold shares they they got billions of dollars to to put into their company you know uh, if that's a failure I'd love to fail that bad mm-hmm. you know and and <laughs> yep. uh, and I and I think that you know even on a personal level right sharing politics religion you know things like that these have always been not tolerated not mm-hmm. tolerated when it came to companies and and uh, I I forced myself this year you know to to say not be quiet. You know, I'm going to mm-hmm. let people know who I am, and right. you can see my my Twitter following has has uh, it hasn't declined, but it's definitely leveled off. You know, I'm not garnering as much. People are leaving now because they don't agree with my politics or or whatever. But I'm okay. With that. And and the thing that I think is that we we all need to be a little bit more open and learn a little bit more tolerance, mm-hmm. and learn tolerance from companies too. That yeah, of course companies are going to make mistakes. It doesn't have to be on the nightly news. Right. <laughs> you know, when when uh when someone slips up anymore, you know, of course these of course these things happen. Right. The 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 other side of it too is we got a question again from from Facebook from uh Roger Chase. Um it, this is a great question. I'll I'll add a little bit of 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 words in too. Um he said uh ask David how the sales guys feel about this sharing of key customers with potential people to steal them away. Some feel hosting even friends on services like LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, et cetera. As we get more information on us and how we do business, who we know, then then that gets shared with everybody. And uh, the reason why I'll, I'll add a note is this happened to us today. Um, this morning I was actually late to work because I was, I was on the phone. A colleague called me and said, hey, this company is calling on your client. I saw it on LinkedIn, wow. <laughs> you know, and and of course, I got a little bit defensive, you know. I was I was like, why are they connecting with my client on on LinkedIn? Now I'm not opposed. I don't. I am a big believer that there's not competition, but I absolutely disagree with poaching, you mm-hmm. know. And if someone's going to try to poach my client, I'm going to, you know, we're going to have a fight, you know. Um, if I fail the client, that's a different story. I'm totally willing to give up a client that I, I don't do well with. Um, but how about that, David, that, you know, this this incredibly open and transparent platforms, you know, from, from in a highly competitive world, are we, uh, you know, do we do we need to keep some of that, you know, next, uh, you know, a little bit hidden? Yeah, boy, that's 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 such a great such a great topic and such a great observation. And and uh, you know, Rogers Rogers right. The the salespeople hate it, um, and they uh, and and the lawyers hate it, right? Salespeople and lawyers uniformly, uh, you know, don't don't really like this world that we live in. I had a my my favorite example of this, and this was actually a support guy. Um, I, I'd been doing a. a workshop with a group of people on on knowledge management and social support and at one point he he raised his hand and said yes but but in fact we have a policy that our customers are not to talk to each other oh my god <laughs> and, and I looked at him, waiting for like the, the telltale, you know, the eyebrow twitch to show what a funny joke this was. But he was right, serious right. as a heart attack. 
no. So, uh, you know, I, I I would say there are there are there are two things that I I tend to bring up in the conversation when when we have people worried about, you know, they're going to find out our software has bugs. They're going to uh, uh, find out that, uh, you know, who we're working with, they're going to find out our speed secrets and steal our technology. Um, they're going to sue us. We're going to tell them something that's wrong. We're going to sue them. So all of this fear that comes out of uh, of transparency, I, I think, you know, you just have to kind of look at the real world. In the real world, Maybe 20 years ago, maybe you could have a policy that your customers don't talk to each other because they never get a chance to accept at a trade show they go to once a year. That's not the world we live in today. Whether you're B2B or B2C, your customers are talking about you with each other. And the only option you have is to be part of the conversation or not. Right? But you, you, you can't stop them from sharing information. So if one person knows that you've got a bug, if one person knows you've got a security vulnerability, assume that all of your customers are going to know it. So don't you want to be ahead of that and be seen as a helpful part of the conversation? The, the other thing, and, and I, I just, I'll bring up the legal stuff briefly. There is a lot of angst about you know, people getting sued based on information that they share publicly. And, you know, law, the legal departments of companies are all about risk mitigation, and, and they're mitigating a certain type of risk. In, in the work that I've, I've done with a lot, a lot, a lot of companies, big and small, um, I have seen no litigation actually happen about something that was shared on a self-service site or something that was shared in a community. I'm aware that something happened once in a community a, a long time ago, but I just don't see it. So in terms of risk mitigation, I mean, on the one hand, you've got the risk of getting sued, which everybody talks about, but doesn't seem to be happening very much. And on the other hand, you have the risk of not being engaged with your customers. Um, and that's a, I would argue that's a tremendous business risk and one that we as consumers feel all the time. Uh, and and as, as business buyers feel all the time uh, from our vendors. And there's there's situations, you know, like HIPAA, um, you know, healthcare provisioning, you know, in the United States where you can't talk about about you know uh, patients and 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 things. You can't even come close to talking about a patient. But what we've seen those organizations that do very well on social is when they get client advocates. So they. You know, they, they get people, you know, uh, that have gone through the surgery, you know, to write a blog about the experience of going through the surgery and, and, and everything else. And that way the, the organization itself, you know, isn't releasing any information, but they're getting client advocates, you know, or customer advocates to, to, to basically help them, you know, tell the story um, without violating any type of, you know, legal regulation. And I think... I think that's a great way to 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 you know kind of sidestep you know some of those some of those uh, traps. But that is a really good way, and and it's always more powerful having you know customers and 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 the people who've been through it speaking for you. Anyhow, I do want to I do want to caveat because I'm I'm afraid I'm I'm coming off as just a little bit out there. Um, th there is information absolutely that should not be shared. I'm not. You know, I, we, we don't open up our, our books to our customers. Um, you know, information that is very specific to a single customer, right? We wouldn't share that externally. 
Um, there is, you know, it's the core of intellectual property. Sometimes you shouldn't share. There are things that are actively dangerous for customers to do. It's okay not to share there. So it's, it's okay if you have a policy that makes sense that you can apply that everybody understands and say, these are the things that we keep inside and this is why. Um, it, it's just that in, in the absence of that, um, this, this kind of free-floating worry about if we share information, bad things will happen is, is, is I guess, what I'm pushing against. I don't share anything that's in my bottom left bureau drawer on <laughs> online. It, it are for Sundays only. It almost sounds like being a good parent, if you will. Um, so I, I just wanted to circle back really briefly, David, because, um, you know, Companies are under tremendous pressure to mo- to monetize every relationship they have, and especially at the at the support level, um, you know, support teams they're they're facing this dilemma where, you know, they're supposed to monetize engagement, and and I think a lot of us know better that, you know, than to say that's a good thing all the time. When what's the number one recommendation you would make to service and support teams um, when it comes to attempting to monetize the, the experience they're having? You know, when, when is it good to, to bring up the idea of, hey, do you want to buy some more of our stuff? When is it not a good idea? Right. Well, uh, that's, a, that's an excellent question. I I, uh, I like to say that uh, there are only two bad ways to run a support organization. One is as a cost center, right? and one is as a profit center. Um, they, they both have traps. It, in, in terms of, in terms of the, the very specific point about when is it okay for um, somebody who's providing service and support to upsell um, or, or cross-sell, I actually think it's a very – it's a very easy and kind of personal decision. It, it's a different skill set. You know, people who are who are there to help people have a different skill set um, and, and actually a very different personality type than people who enjoy the thrill of the chase and the hunt and, and who in, enjoy selling. So trying to get them to, you know, if they say this, to pull out this sales script in the course of an interaction um, just, I mean, it just doesn't work very well. It falls flat, um, and and your support people are really unhappy. But sometimes the best way to solve a problem is with a new product. I mean, sometimes what you really ought to do is upgrade or buy an add-on module. If you want to do what you're trying to do, you should you should have this other thing that we have that'll make it easy. And and so you know, if there's the test, if if the test is met, that you know, if your friend asks you for help, and what you would say to your friend is, you know, what you really ought to do is you re- really ought to buy this add-on and not mess with it, then then that's the right thing to do to your customer, right? And and you know, in terms of how you 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 track that and encourage that and train that in, you know, you you certainly can do all of that. But it has to start with the premise that what I'm doing is helping the customer. And if there's something that we and, and we offer stuff that has value, so if there's something that we have that will add value to the customer and it's a natural and organic part of the conversation, uh, then then by all means I should do it, and we should make it easy to you know to, to close the deal. 
Well, and, and, and I think that it's all about perspective there, right? And that's that it's, it's, not, it's not necessarily what you value and what you're giving out as a company. It's the value that the customer is perceiving. You know, one, one customer might think that the software is perfectly worth the weight of, you know, their bill. But another customer, you know, really values the fact that they can pick up the phone and talk to somebody. And, and that's what's why they paid, you know, the, the licensing fee uh, on that. And, and I think a lot of companies, you know, they think cost equals value. And, it, and it's, never, it's never that way. It's, it's different for every single company. And that's exactly right. Self-service is a great example of that, right? Self-service, people figure because, I mean, companies sort of intuitively think because it's cheaper, it's going to be valued less by customers. But, hey, which would you rather do, enter a quick search and get going on your own and feel smart or, you know, call an 800 number and, and wait for somebody? So it, it, you're absolutely right. It done right. Um, this stuff is wholly beneficial, and it's it's it can be less expensive and higher value for the customer at the same time. I, I'd be interested in what you know what you guys are seeing with uh, with software as a service and subscription models. I, I actually, from from my perspective here in Silicon Valley, this is something that has been very helpful in helping people think really about the value of support and and its relationship with marketing. If if what you're doing is uh, you know, selling software and then running, if somebody calls into your support organization and asks for help with, you know, how to do something new with it, yeah, maybe you're going to try and turn that into a professional services engagement or just get them off the phone. But if you're talking to a customer that's using your stuff and if they continue to see value from it, they'll continue to subscribe. And if they don't, they won't. In other words, if you're having to kind of resell your value uh, on a month-by-month basis, then all of a sudden it's clear that, oh, yeah, that's our role in service and support is to make the customer successful. And we see organizations like Salesforce, for example, dedicate customer success managers. I mean, that's a job, and they do all kinds of really clever analytics to try and figure out, does this look like a customer that's being successful, or does this look like a customer that's not seen very much value from the product, in which case we better proactively go do something about that. And so it's really helpful in that conversation. Yeah, I think the dream of every software as a service company was that they would create an application, make money in their sleep. And the reality of every software as a service organization is that um, they they never realized how much they were going to have to support yeah. the customers and and apply those uh, you know those 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 teams of people. I mean, we're we're a teeny organization. We've got four full time employees, but Jen Lisak, who's sitting behind me, you know, she's our client advocate, and when I hired, you know, when we, I, I shouldn't say I, when we added her to the team, you know, her sole uh, job was to look out for our clients, not for DK New Media, and that's, and, and she whips us into shape every single day, and um, and and sometimes I regret that. No, <laughs> no it's not true. But but it it you know and but I understand you know and our clients see that our clients absolutely see that Jen is looking out for their welfare and making sure that we service them properly and and that's what we need. Well, David, uh, spot spot on advice. Uh, Jen, do you have something to add? I was just say, saying, and I keep him out of jail. So. <laughs> Everybody's trying to keep me out of jail. <laughs> so Jen, can David, you come work for me? <laughs> yeah. 
Hey now. <laughs> so David, I know uh, I, I know you've uh, you you wrote a great book, uh, Collective Wisdom. Um, is that uh, can folks get that on Amazon or or just about anywhere? Uh, they can. Well, not just about anywhere, but but Amazon. It's definitely a long tail kind of a book in the sense that uh, you know it is intensely interesting and valuable for the. Uh, for, for the people who are interested in knowledge management for support organizations. But, yeah, co-wrote that book some time ago. And um, in terms of knowledge management, I still um, – just yesterday I went and looked up something that I'd written there and, and reused it and sending something to a customer. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate that. Collective Wisdom Transforming Support Through Knowledge uh, is available on Amazon. And uh, tell, tell our uh, listeners where they can find you on the, uh, on the Internet uh, yeah, no, we I don't believe in this internet thing yet. We haven't. We're we're gonna maybe get a website soon, but um, I am at uh, dbkay dot com. D is in David, B is in boy, k a y dot com, and from there you can subscribe to the blog and uh, you know find us on uh, on Twitter and uh, on Facebook and all of those uh, happy places that you'd like to engage with us. And I hope that we are successful in engaging rather than just talking. And and companies who are seeking uh seeking out assistance in this, you know, in this knowledge management uh maze, um bbk.com is a place they go to contact you for con- consultation as well. That's that's right. That's the that's the place to find us. It also lists uh, some upcoming workshops we have. We've got some uh in-person uh 3-day workshops for people interested in knowledge management, and uh, we actually just uh, launched our first uh, uh, virtual one, virtual classroom one, coming up in August. So uh, July in the Bay Area, August everywhere. Fantastic. We'll, we'll, we'll put those up there. And, and David, would you mind if we introduced you to the guys at MindJet? I think that would be a great introduction. I would I would absolutely love that. I'm I'm actually uh, uh you know I've, I've used their software. Uh I really like the fact that uh, you know it's it's the same reason we all like whiteboards. I had a, a, a client a few days ago or I'm sorry a couple of months ago tell me KCS is like a whiteboard. And I was like, "Well, what do you mean by that?" He's like, "Well, you know, you know how whiteboards are. Somebody goes up and they write something and somebody else writes something else and you know, you sort of collaborate together as a team and it doesn't have to be polished or beautiful. That's not what it's about. It's about, you know, collaborating and creating this and capturing these thoughts in our head." And 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 KCS Knowledge Centered Support, the practice that I work in, is is a lot like that, and and I think MindJet is a lot like that, and and helping us to think outside of the, you know, start typing on the left and go to the right, and let's do outlines and stuff, and and in particular in a collaborative environment is a, is a really powerful concept. So I I was very intrigued by what you were saying in your uh, in your voiceover, and uh, looking forward to finding out more about it. Fantastic. Well, uh, thanks so much for joining us. This has been uh, just an incredible conversation. And and, uh, and people can follow you on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? Yes. D- uh, more or less everywhere, I am DBK and A. So DBKAY and then A-N-D-A, like DBK and Associates, which is the full name of the company. Fantastic. Well, David, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, it was a real pleasure. And uh, have a great weekend. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity and the thoughtful questions and uh, and the wide-ranging conversation. So looking forward to tuning in next time. Thanks.
Thanks, David. Thanks, sir. Connect with us anytime at marketingtechblog.com. And from there, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Tech Blog.